Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 160. Since 1966, the NFL's passing yardage leader has not won the Super Bowl. This year, Tom Brady was the leading passage yardage leader with 5,316 total yards, but the Bucks lost their NFC Divisional round. This is the 56th consecutive year this has happened. The streak started back in 1966 with Joe Namath when he was pat- the passing yardage leader at 3,379 yards, but the Jets, Jets uh, missed the playoffs. Including 2021 with this most recent Tom Brady blunder. In the past five years, we've had 2020 Deshaun Watson at 4,823, but the Texans missed the playoffs. 2019, Jameis Winston at 5,109, but the Bucks missed the playoffs. 2018, Big Ben Roethlisberger at 5,129, but the Steelers missed the playoffs. And you see where this is going. But 2017, good old Tom Brady, TB12 at 4,577 total yards, but the Pats lost the Super Bowl. 0-56. Interesting stat for the day for you. That is. That is an interesting stat. And we'll, of course, dive more into those uh, NFL games. It's a fantastic weekend of football. We'll dive into that more in a second. But we got to deal with some uh, less desirable, I would say, uh, our conversation here first. And that's uh, the disastrous week that, uh, I mean, I'm going to call it disastrous, that both the men and women uh, Cyclone basketball team had uh this past week. Um, we'll start uh, on the women's side. They had an 0-2 week, and really they just got blown out twice. Like we said last week, they had two games against the two best teams in the Big 12, the other two best teams in the conference, and they got destroyed in both of them. Now, granted, um, as those of you who follow uh, 8311Cast on Twitter know, that both uh, Jones sisters were out during the Texas game, um, so I'll give them a pass at that. When you're without... Um, your leading scorer and your leading three-point shooter, um, you're gonna and it's it's okay if you lay an egg, but um, Ashley, both of them were back though. Aubrey didn't play a ton um, against Baylor. They were both back um, in that game against against Baylor, and they still laid an egg. Um, I mean, Baylor played really well. They shot really really well from three, but there were just uh, uh, too many turnovers. Um, they had uh, one less turnover than made field goal um, the entire game. Too many turnovers. They didn't shoot particularly well from three. Um, they played okay in the first half, and they were in it-ish at halftime, and then they just got blown away um, to start um, the third quarter. Um, uh, they had a stretch of six minutes without scoring after the half, sort of like the men's team. Um, tends to do, and they had a stretch like that in Texas. They only against Texas, they only scored four points in the third quarter. So both Cyclones, uh, Cyclone basketball teams, have to find a uh, a better way to uh, to uh, score the basketball after the half because it's just been a been a theme uh, here. On the men's side, um, it wasn't much better. Was it worse? Was it was it worse on the men's side or the women's side this week? What do you guys think? I mean, the women's team lost to two ranked teams without their star player in one of the games. The men's team got run out of Texas Tech 
Granted, that's a ranked team, but they lost a game that you expect them to win at home while laying an absolute egg. I think the the men's team had a worse week by far. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. Um, so like I alluded to, they lost at Texas Tech, and I would say they sort of got run out of the building at, at, uh, at Texas Tech and uh, lost uh, to TCU at home as well. Um, so not a good week. Um, this does mean, interesting note, that between the men and women, we lost to all four Big 12 schools in Texas in the same week. Um, I would have preferred to beat all four Big 12 schools in Texas in the same week, but it was kind of cool still to, to just get trucked by Texas as a state. Um, details on the Texas Tech game. Uh, Texas Tech was uh, 28 of 38 from the free throw line. You cannot let your opponent shoot 40 free throws or near 40 free throws and uh, expect to win a game. Um, And this has been a theme, too, um, of the Cyclones having a fouling problem. Ariane, you've got some stats about how the Cyclones are in fouls relative to the rest of the country? I do. I was checking this out because we talked about it multiple times. Do you need to get to the line more? Do you need to keep the other team off the line? So I was looking into it. Um, Iowa State is ranked 279th in the country in fouls per game, 292nd in fouls per possession, and 303rd in fouls per defensive play. And this is all based on a ranking of 358 teams. So you can see how we are well close to the bottom. And uh, fouls per possession, that number is 26.3%. So we foul almost one out, like one out of every four possessions, we are going to foul somebody. And we get, um, let's see. 18.4 personal fouls a game. So we have that issue. And when you're a defensive team like that, you know you're going to play hard. You're going to be up in people's jerseys. And that is something that happens. You're going to foul more than a team who doesn't play defense. But when we get lazy or when we get sloppy and we don't have it in them, we're just going to go through the motions of playing defense and you're going to foul because you're not putting the effort behind it. So I think when we get dejected and we don't feel like we're in it as much, those steals and the good defense we have just turn into fouls and lazy slaps across the arms and not contesting right at the basket so i feel like we need to just stay disciplined and make sure that we're playing good defense instead of just hard defense because it's just because you're playing hard doesn't mean you're playing well at all yeah that's it's a good point there has to be uh some sort of line there between uh hard and effective defense so because in the big 12 you you the Big 12 is not a conference like the Big 10. In the Big 10, you can get away with some more physical play and they'll let you get away with it. It's just sort of the nature of the officiating in that conference. The Big 12 is not one of those conferences. They're not going to let you bang around inside quite as much as they would uh, in the Big 10. So you got to play smart defense as much as you got to play aggressive defense. I agree. You wouldn't uh, mind if they changed up the officiating a little bit since all of a sudden the Big 12 has morphed into this defensive monster where everybody is a great defensive team. I think the worst defensive team is Kansas, and that's just because they're so fantastic at offense, they don't need to worry about it as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Kansas, what, according to Ken Palm, is 46th in defense. So if they're the worst, uh, yeah, that's going to be, uh, that's just a really good defensive league. Um, and yes, that is the worst. 46th Kansas is the worst in Ken Palm defense. Everybody else is in the top 30 in defense on Ken Palm with three schools in the top 10 in Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. Um, so so that game uh, coming up this week against Oklahoma State might be an ugly one, just like the games against Texas Tech have been. 
Um, so moving on to the TCU game, again, the second half scoring drought. Um, we had a three-minute and six-minute scoring drought, um, both in the second half. And we just got ran out of the building at that point. We can't survive these long scoring droughts. Um, yeah, we just can't leave. We can't deal with these scoring droughts. We don't have enough offense to I mean, just give up basically a quarter of the game, nine minutes out of the game, just giving up we didn't score. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the turning point in this game came in the second half after that Trey Jackson made three. Jamie Dixon had a fantastically timed uh, timeout for TCU. The building was about to erupt. Uh, the lead that was nine was down to three. Iowa State had all the momentum. Timeout, boom. Momentum ruined. Uh, Hilton got out of the game. All of a sudden, TCU, I mean, this guy, uh, Bo Bowery or whatever his name, last name is, guy himself had seven steals in the game. Uh, he was absolutely, he, I mean, he almost had a double-double with steals, which is unheard of. He had 20 points, I believe, and seven steals, which was killing us. He had he had at least one or two steals there that led to fast break points, and it all of a sudden the lead became 10 again. And that was kind of the, the end of the game there, it felt like, for Iowa State. There was no more momentum after that. The team just continued hucking up three after three with to no avail. And what you would think is, you know, <laughs> if something isn't working, try something else. But it didn't seem like that was happening at all. Um, and what what TCU was very, very good at in this game was getting steals that were live ball turnovers, directly leading to 13 points, six of seven on field goals. Uh, it, and I, Iowa State only had five steals in this game, something that we're accustomed to. And that led to four turnovers and a missed three-pointer. Um, the game, it, it's, it's impossible to win a game when you shoot as poorly from the field and from three as Iowa State did. Over 23-point attempts, and what did we finish with? Three makes on the game, one by Trey Jackson, one by... Uh, Caleb Grill and one by um, Gabe Kalsher in garbage time. Three for 26 from three. That's correct. And it wasn't much better in the Texas Tech game. In the Texas Tech game, Iowa State shot five of 26 from three. Like, we can't shoot that poorly from three if we... We can't shoot that many threes and shoot that poorly from three. If it's not working today, don't shoot it. Gabe Kalsher, just like I predicted, went back to his usual ugly self. He, uh, Shot. He shot one for six from three and three of 11 from the field against Texas Tech and then proceeded to shoot, uh, what was it, one of 10 from the field? Uh, yeah, one of 10 from the field and one of eight from three against TCU. He went one of eight for three against TCU. It was just, just a, I mean, you had bad Gabe Kalsher. Nobody helped Isaiah Brockington in that that game. Uh, Isaiah Brockington against TCU scored 19. Um, the next highest score was Hunter with 7. Brockington is carrying this team. He had 12 rebounds. The next highest rebounder was uh, Hunter with 5. You tell me how uh, George Condit, and how Condit, Enaruna, and Kalsha all start and get 0 rebounds. How does George Condit get 0 rebounds in a game? Like, I know he only played 10 minutes. 
we don't usually I, I've noticed a big shift to Ronald Jones recently. And part of that's because George Condit can't figure out how to stop fouling. It seems like in the couple games before this, but and in Condit as a turnover problem yes. recently, what is going on? He doesn't seem to be able to see the side of him. So when we're running our offense on that shoulder, the elbow, he just some anybody can come behind him and just take the ball. And he never notices. Officially against TCU, he only had one turnover, though. But it is a running issue. Yes, it is. I mean, he it had was a big issue against T- against Texas. Tech. He had five <laughs> against Texas Tech. Yes. We only had three people on our team versus TCU make more than one field goal. And that was Tyrese Hunter with two. Trey Jackson with two and then Brockington with eight. And we allowed 13 points off those, you know, turnovers. We lost by 15. I mean, that's just the entire game right there. If you can just stop some of that, we basically win. Yeah. And and Tyrese Hunter has been um, he's done some impressive things. He's still got to work on his uh, his ball control there. He's turning the ball over too many times. Uh, six turnovers against uh, against TCU. And you can add another. What did he have? He had another three, yeah, another three against Texas Tech. It's just still more too many turnovers, more than you want um, from your your point guard. So he's been impressive, and he'll get there. He's just still got something to learn about playing playing D one ball. It's it's a far cry from what we're accustomed to at the point guard position between Monte Morris and Tyrese Halliburton over the past couple of years. Uh, just. Ball security is something that needs to be stressed uh, in Hunter's game, but that's also going to progress as he gets more mature and gets more exposure to what it's like in the Big 12 Conference. I mean, to his, to coming to his defense a little bit, this is probably the, the, the best defense of Big 12 that we've seen in 20, 30 years. So... He's coming in at a at a perfect storm time for giving up a bunch of turnovers, but it's something that needs to be needs to be fixed and that the Cyclones need to, you know, hopefully use this week to get back on track. Mike, what is what's next up this week for the Cyclones? Yeah, um just a couple more things before that. Um first of all, just shout out to Isaiah Brockington and his rebounding. He is currently leading the Big 12 in rebounding. If he finishes um, that way, he would be the first player under 6'5 to ever lead the conference in rebounding and the first player under 6'8 since 2012. So the way he rebounds is just awesome. He is carrying this team and he needs some help. Um, and my other point, despite a bad week, um, this guy is not falling on Iowa State basketball here. Like it was a bad week, but both teams are still in really good shape. Um, in the net rankings, the women are still ranked 12th in the net, even after um, a bad week. So the Cyclone women are still fine. I'm not concerned about um, them long term. And the men in the net are still at 30, still uh, definitely in, uh, in tournament uh, position. So bad week, yes. Um, is the sky falling? No, not yet. They need to right the ship. Um, on the women's side... What we have coming up is um, two games this week. Um, first on Wednesday will be uh, KU at home. Uh, you find that 6.30 on uh, ESPN+. And then it will be at Texas Tech, who's really bad in women's basketball, by the way, 
on Saturday uh, at 12.30 on ESPN+. Plus. So hopefully those uh, the women can right the ship and get two wins and, and stay atop the, the conference standings. They're still at first place in the standings. Um, the men, also with two games this week, they start out with a road tilt at Oklahoma State um, on Wednesday at 7 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. So flip back and forth between the men and the women on, uh, on Wednesday. And then there's a little bit of break for conference play for the men where we do the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge. The Cyclones will play a really, really bad Missouri team um, at Hilton Coliseum at 1 o'clock on Saturday on ESPNU. So also flip back and forth between the men and women's game there. Um, it could be a little bit of a rebound week for both teams. They're playing some weaker teams this week, though as the Cyclones men learn, there are no weak games in the Big 12. Um, but a little bit of a weaker schedule. Teams got to take advantage, and it would be great for them to combine to go 3-0 and or 3-1 and or 4-0 and this week. That would be really nice. So in next week's episode, we'll, of course, keep you informed on uh, everything that happens and give you more analysis. But we need to move forward here to this weekend in the NFL. Mike, let me say one more thing before we move on to the NFL. I just want to remind everybody in the audience – I think our men's team is a victim of their own overperformance. It seems like we've all forgotten that they were picked to finish dead last, and we assumed this team was going to be god-awful. They won two games last year. It does suck after they started so well to see them lose those games finally, but this is not the George Niang, you know, Monte Morris, Matt Thomas teams. They're getting by on hard work and grit, like, it's going to be ugly, and we're going to lose some games. This is the first year of a head coach. So keep that in mind. Keep that you know, front of mind. It's not perfect, but it'll get better, and we should be excited that we're even seeing as good of basketball as we are so soon. Yeah, I mean, they still might finish last in the conference out there. They're they tied for last in the conference. Uh, OU, K-State, and Iowa State are all tied for last at 2-5. and five. Uh, So we could still end up there. We could. Hopefully not. But, it'll be a hard uh, place <laughs> yeah yeah it will be uh so now we'll move on to the nfl which is in my opinion probably the best weekend of football in nfl history um i don't know if any of you have uh thoughts or opinions on that but in my opinion it was uh the best weekend of football in nfl history all the games were great i mean when when do you have a weekend of football four nfl or four different nfl games Three of them end on last-second field goals, and one of them ends, well, finishes in regulation with a last-second field goal to tie it and then an overtime drive to win it. You saw four different games that featured teams absolutely going at it for their their spot in their respective championship games. Uh, It starts out with... Tennessee and Cincinnati, who was everyone picking prior to this game? Everyone was like, Derrick Henry's coming back for Tennessee, playing with a a plate in his foot and 13 screws, Uh, and Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. Everyone's like, yeah, Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals, Jamar Chase. I mean, what a good run they've had this year, but this is where it stops. Well, not so fast. First half, uh, 9-6. to Um, at at halftime, and then because of some very, very sloppy and questionable play by Ryan Tannehill, the Tennessee Titans 
he throws into triple coverage at the end of the game, into the game, trying to lead a go ahead uh, drive, hopefully for them to kick a field goal to go ahead and win it. Cincinnati intercepts it. Joe Burrow has one pass to Jamar Chase, uh, sets up that that game winning field goal. Evan McPherson, rookie kicker for the Florida Gators, by the way, who said to Joe Burrow on the way out before the field goal, looks like we're going to the AFC championship game. I mean, the guts of that kid, absolutely incredible. Cincinnati Bengals are in their first AFC championship game since the uh, before the 50s for sure i think i don't know someone fact check me there i forget what year it was but good on cincinnati next we go up to lambeau field as green bay hosted san francisco uh temperatures are freezing san francisco won't be able to play in this weather well their offense certainly didn't as they did not have an offensive touchdown drive the entire game but special teams came to play for both teams uh Green Bay, after that first drive, looked like they were going to possibly run San Francisco right out of the building, uh, go up early seven to nothing in that game. And it took all the guts of San Francisco. I mean, blocked field goal at the end of the first half, blocked punt touchdown, and Robbie Gold ends up winning it uh, in 13 to 10 fashion up in Lambeau in the snow. Next, we have Tom Brady in Tampa Bay falling to the Los Angeles Rams. Everyone thought that now that Green Bay lost, the Rams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going to host another NFC Championship game. Tom Brady and the Bucs poised to win. But the one thing that the Rams did to the Buccaneers both times this season was make them look uncomfortable on the offensive line. Uh, that offensive line where Tom Brady was. Uh, never really got in trouble, never really in pressure at all. Von Miller, Aaron Donald, and Leonard Floyd were in the backfield all game long against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line down there starting right tackle, and it just wasn't enough. The Rams tried their best to lose that game. They tried to pull a Falcons impersonation as that game ended up being tied up with uh, under a minute to go, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong. And Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup had the poise to lead a drive to put them into field goal range and go ahead and win that game on another walk-off field goal. And if it wasn't good enough to have those three great games so far in the weekend, you cap it off with by far maybe one of the best NFL games in history. I, I mean, the, you had two heavyweight titans going at each other. Uh, the rematch of the AFC Championship game last season. Kansas City, by the, by the rules that are NFL overtime, we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, knock off the Buffalo Bills in similar fashion that the 2019 AFC Championship game was played between the Patriots and the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Uh, but what led up to that was insanity. Uh, Ariane, do you want to fill us in on really what that last minute and 54 seconds of, of regulation transpired? Yeah, uh, it was wild. I don't know that I've ever seen a game flip back and forth like that. I'm sure if we check Kyle's Apple watch readings, his heart rate looks like he's about to die. 
Uh, <laughs> 24 points were scored in the final one minute and 54 seconds of the Chiefs Bills game. Uh, 23 points total were scored in that Green Bay San Francisco game, just for reference. Uh, the game had 37 points less than literally every other game this weekend combined. So these quarterbacks were slinging it. The receivers were fantastic. Uh, the running game was honestly kind of the quarterbacks as well. <laughs> and um, let's see. Sorry, I'm going to pull up the game here just so I can give you a little bit more specifics. Um, let's see. In the fourth quarter, Harrison Butker kicks that field goal. Uh, he did miss one earlier in the game as well as missing an extra point, and that made it Casey 26-21. Gabriel Davis catches his third touchdown pass to make it 29-26. Tyreek Hill, against all odds with a minute left, uh, speed boosts past all these other mere mortals, reminding us how freakishly fast he is. I've never seen somebody look that fast on an NFL field full of fast players. Uh, they got the ball back with less than two minutes and then gave the ball back with over a minute left, which at that point I was like, they had too much time. They're going to be able to score. Again. That was without using any timeouts either. It was wild. I've never seen a game come down like that where both teams have three timeouts left at the end either. That almost never happens. And then somehow from a minute and two seconds to 13 seconds, Gabriel Davis catches yet another touchdown for his fourth on the day. I believe he had 208 yards and four touchdowns and and he's like the third or fourth wide receiver yeah like it's not like the, it's not like that's Devonte adams or stefan diggs going off right and then against all odds 13 seconds left in the game i thought for sure it was over um patrick mahomes just shows people who he is and that these guys can get it done um i believe it was a pass to jarek mckinnon first uh and then somehow they just leave Travis Kelsey open. They're playing prevent defense for some reason instead of playing just normal defense because they forgot that they only need a field goal to win. And Harrison Butker uh, kicks a 49-yarder to send in an overtime. And then from there, you got those overtime rules. Coin flip wins the game, basically, with how well those quarterbacks are playing. And Kelsey toe taps it on the side of the end zone to win it 42-36. to 36. That so So going back to regulation, that final Kelsey catch... Uh, so it, it came out that I, I don't know if any of you caught it on air, but Patrick Mahomes right before the snap was yelling, do it, do it. When the Chiefs broke the huddle after that timeout, Travis Kelsey said he wasn't going to run the play that was called. He wasn't going to run his route. He was going to run basically that scene to the middle of the field where it was open. And Mahomes, in his cadence, yelled, do it, do it. And he ran it. Mahomes threw it right there. And the rest is now history. Wow, I did not catch that. I Can I just say, I hate, just in general, I hate the prevent defense. Like, I get it. You don't want to give up, like, a big play. So, like, maybe just play two, two high safeties, something like that. But don't play all this super off coverage with the corners and things like that. I mean... You can play play more conservative on defense, yes, but this prevent defense is just just so bad. It does not work in the NFL. It just it's doesn't basically work. Only useful if you know they're gonna throw a hail mary. Otherwise, just play defense. You can play defense. Let's see some other fun facts. Uh, Josh Allen threw two touchdowns in the last two minutes of the game and lost. Patrick Mahomes had 177 yards just after the two minute warning. Josh Allen threw nine touchdowns through two games and no interceptions, and that man's going to watch from the couch. 
That is insane. For a fun for a reference, the most touchdowns in a total like postseason, I think, is eleven. And he had nine in two games. That is crazy. Joe Burrows got sacked nine times in the game, and somehow the Bengals still won that game. The Rams, uh, as you said, were desperately trying to lose that game, lost four fumbles, managed to win that game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is one of four in the NFC Championship game, didn't even make it there to lose this year. Uh, I just, you got to wonder, does he have what it takes to win in the postseason at all, or did he just happen to get lucky one year? And I mean, that was coupled with one of the best defenses, too. But have these losses really, have some of these losses really been his fault? Like, sure, he didn't play great in this game, but his special team sucked. Uh, didn't he lose one NFC Championship game to Seattle because his the special teams gave up two onside kicks? That was a good one. I mean, sure, but he had zero passing touchdowns, right? Or did he have one? No, he had zero. The oh, only zero. touchdown that Green Bay had was uh, A.J. Dillon touchdown run. Yeah. So if you're going to be the guy and you're going to be the best, you can't play okay. If you're going to win the game, win the game. You have to win the game. We saw that with the Chiefs and the Bills. Those guys came out there and took the game. They didn't worry about what was happening on defense or special teams. He might just yeah. be a regular season guy. Is is he going to play in Green Bay next year? Is that going to be a thing that happens or not? No. Nope. No. He's not playing through a rebuild. What I think would be fun is, what if Tom Brady retires and then he just goes to Tampa Bay? <laughs> I think he's going to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh? He could also mm-hmm. go to the Niners if he wanted. His childhood team, they got a or guy Denver. who still needs some time. Or Denver. But that's speculation for for later, just like that Tom Brady speculation. I mean, yeah. throw more fuel to the fire with this Aaron Rodgers controversy. Tom Brady has as many wins against NFC playoff teams as Aaron Rodgers does. And actually, he has more because of all of his Super Bowl wins. And he's been there for two years. Yeah, yeah. he's only been an NFC quarterback for two years. So. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers had 27 targets last night, or the other night, and only six of them went to somebody other than Devontae Adams or A.J. Dillon. Like, for some reason, like, Alan Lazard, like, what happened to him, like, why did we just not? Why was he only targeting those two players? I don't know. Was not Aaron his Jones, best. By the way, yeah. Sorry, not AJ Dillon. Yeah, you're good. My bad. Uh, My bad. A little trend I've noticed. Uh, I was looking at it last night. I feel like we're gonna have a massive, massive disparity in quarterback talent coming up in the next two to ten years versus the AFC and the NFC. Um, yes. Just looking yes. at who the good quarterbacks are that are young in the NFC. I have Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, and then depending on how you feel, maybe Jalen Hurts. And I don't even know that I put him anywhere near the other two. And then the AFC has like, you know, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Herbert, Lamar, Deshaun Watson, if that over clears up, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence. Like these are all guys that can be fantastic. And if you're a head coach, I'm looking for that NFC job, not that AFC job, because the AFC job looks hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, any any AFC job is going to be very difficult in the next, you know, five, six, seven years, especially when, I mean, for right now, four straight AFC championship games have gone through Kansas City. And who do you have waiting in the wings is a Josh Allen, a now Joe Burrow. Give Joe Burrow an offensive line. That team's going to be so much better. 
give Herbert some consistency with play calling after they were in there with their first year head coach this year. Um, Deshaun Watson on a team with actual playmakers other than the, the Houston Texans. I mean, the AFC is not an easy place to play. It, it reminds me very much so of what the, the Western Conference and NBA was the past, what, five, six years, Ariane? More like a decade, but yeah. A dec- yeah, sure. Throw a decade out there. I mean, it's very, very similar to that where the Western Conference ruled over the Eastern. Yeah. Yeah, it could be interesting, but I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes, too. I mean, quarterbacks can come on quickly in the NFL. Like, two years ago, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, like, nothing. Not a chance in the, right? We didn't know about them as any good in the AFC. Fair enough. So, right, by two years from now, we could have four new good young quarterbacks in the NFC, and, you know... Then you know this evens out. It's so 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 easy to change a team with with uh, one good draft in the NFL. So we'll see. Well, so you, have, you have one bad injury, and all of a sudden uh, your quarterback doesn't look as good as he did before. Things can change really quickly. See Carson Wentz. Yep, Carson Palmer. Yeah, Dante Culpepper. Anybody named Carson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we will see, um, and th- that'll be discussions. We can talk a lot more about that in the off season too. But next week, um, championship games are going to be um, Bengals at Chiefs um, in Kansas City, and then the 49ers will play in L.A. at the Rams um, for a shot at the Super Bowl. We'll inform you on how those games go next week. Um, but in Mike's Stupid Rules this week, we want to talk about – uh, NFL overtime, and specifically for the playoffs, um, since that happened, um, I'm not going to go over the rules. I think um, most, if not all, of our listeners listeners know the rules there, so I won't talk about that. But what I do want to talk about is what do you guys think of NFL overtime, and what is your proposal to do it better? That's what I want to hear. It's bad. Do what college does, or what college used to do which was play from the 25, trade off, let both teams get the ball. See, I I agree with your idea about letting both teams get the ball, but I hate that college does those fake drives from the 25. Like, so with NFL quality kickers, right? Like, even if you gain no yards, that the field goal from the 42, 43, the 40, or sorry, the 42-43 yard field goal is basically a gimme in the in the NFL these days. In college, not so much. But in the NFL, you expect your kicker to convert 90% of the time from 43 yards. I don't just don't love that solution in the NFL because kickers are just that much better. Also, yeah. I don't I don't like the two-point conversion nonsense. Like that, That's why I, I rephrased and said do what college used to do, which was going from the right. 25 for each each period. Because and the two I point do, nonsense in college is horrible but, as well. But how but how far is good enough then? Do you do do you do a kickoff every time? Like kickoff and a punt? Just play it like a normal normal period? If the if a team doesn't score uh following the kickoff, do you uh, do you just give the the each team the ball at like the thirty five yard line and say go from there? Uh, their their own thirty five yard line? I say just put them at the 25. Basically make it a fair catch kickoff. Like, you just have the ball at the 25 and see what happens. 
Or you can basically play it like the, the NBA does. Here's an extra period. See what you can do. Hopefully you guys still aren't tied. Otherwise, we'll do it again. Yeah, I mean... Uh, just... I don't understand taking away half of an NFL team for the overtime. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. We're just saying coin flip. Why don't we just do a coin flip to win? Let's not bother. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do agree that I think the best option is just let's just play another quarter, right? We'll do a coin flip to decide the ball still. That's, that's fine. But then let's just play another full quarter. 15 minutes on the clock, let's go, and we'll, we'll play until we're not tied at the end of a quarter. I, I'm, I don't, fine, I'm fine leaving the way it is in the regular season. It is what it is. But in the playoffs, you should – in the playoffs, your overtime should look as much like regular time as physically possible. That's my opinion. Yeah. And, I, I mean, what, what can you do? Because – I mean, yeah, our Buffalo Bills fans and the team pissed at overtime rules right now. Yeah, but what what a lot of them ended up saying is, if we were on the other side of it, we'd be celebrating too. So you're not you're clearly not taking advantage of something as this happened to the Chiefs, like I, I mentioned before back in 2019. I mean, you're not. There was no way the Patriots' defense was stopping Patrick Mahomes if he got the ball in that game. Just like the Chiefs defense wasn't stopping Josh Allen had they gotten the ball first in that overtime period. You took away you took away what could have become a better finish in that football game uh, than what it was. And had you given Josh Allen more opportunities, he's literally just sitting on the sidelines begging for the defense to give him the ball back so he could go win the football game. Because he would have. I, I have no doubt that Josh Allen getting the ball first, they had... Those, those final two minutes, there was no way the Chiefs defense was stopping them at all. Yeah, it really did feel like the winner of the coin toss was gonna win. Was gonna win that game. I mean, that's why you saw so much elation on the the, the faces of Anthony Hitchens and uh, I forget who else was out there for the Chiefs. Once they won that coin toss, they knew that that game was basically over. Yeah. So I don't think there's actually gonna be a change um, anytime soon. I mean, maybe there will be, but I just don't see a change happening anytime soon, um, at least not before next season in the rules. But of course, if there is, um, we'll fill you in on it in a future edition of Mike's Stupid Rules. Um, unless either, unless any of you have uh, more thoughts on NFL overtime, should we move into our accountability session here? I just don't think professional athletes should ever tie. I also agree. There should be no ties in it sports. There shouldn't be a tie. Other than that, keep it the same in the regular season. I agree, but it really irks me when we tie. No one's happy. You should just win somehow. <laughs> I don't know how you change it, but you shouldn't tie. Right? Like, it sets up situations like we could have had at the end of the regular season where two teams want to tie. Yeah. Right? That could have gotten really ugly really fast. It didn't, but it really, really could have. If only. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers tying earlier in the year to the Detroit Lions, did that get them into the playoffs? Yes. Yep. Had they lost the game, they wouldn't have made the playoffs. So there you go. A tie got a team in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So in our accountability session, we have, uh, have a few things coming off the board here. Um, mostly things related to uh, things that didn't go our way in the NFL uh, NFL playoffs. First, um, Kyle's first prediction of the year. I believe it was his first. Was that your first prediction of the write-that-down season? I I think so, yeah. 
Uh, no, it was your second. But it was pretty close. Yeah. Your second prediction of the right there down here was that the AFC Championship game would be Bills Chiefs and the uh, NFC Championship game would be Rams Bucks. You got those playoff matchups this week, uh, the previous week, but uh, they weren't in the championship games. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. 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 Kyle also predicted that the Super Bowl would be uh, the State Farm Bowl, a.k.a. Chiefs-Packers. With the Packers lost, that can't happen. So Kyle gets a nah. 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 A couple weeks ago, I predicted that Tennessee would win the Super Bowl. I thought Derrick Henry coming back would do it, but it didn't. So, nah. 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 Josh predicted that the Packers versus Rams uh, would play for the NFC Championship game. The Rams got there. Packers didn't. So, nah. 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 Josh also predicted the Cardinals would win um, in week one, which, uh, or week one of the playoffs, which they did not. So, nah. Nah. But Arian did redeem this accountability session, getting something. His prediction that Jazz Kuntz would have 15 or less dribbles against Texas was correct. Helps that he only played like eight minutes because he was in foul trouble, but I only had him for like nine dribbles. I had either nine or ten, yeah. So mm-hmm. either either way, that's under fifteen. I don't think there's any controversy that he was under fifteen. Uh, so for that, Arian gets a ding 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 ding. First correct prediction for Arian. Congratulations, Arian! You're now on the board. Coming on. You are now on the board. Congratulations. Um. Leading us off with predictions, as I do as the reigning champion of Write That Down Predictions. Um, I'm going to be optimistic here, and I'm going to predict that uh, Major League Baseball, despite the uh, the still ongoing lockout, is going to play a full 162-game schedule this year. I think they're going to get all the games in. I agree with that. Seems I see so much speculation here, but I agree with it as well. Single? Uh... Double? Single? Single? Single. All right, I agree. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I won't I won't argue for more about that. I think I think neither side is stupid enough to to let this go on long enough that That's they That's big uh, money to lose. Yeah. Mm. I don't think either side is stupid enough to let this go into the regular season. Do we so have they, any the, they they would probably have to have a deal worked out by February, well, let's say Valentine's Day, give or take a couple of days. In order to get opening day on time, they'd probably have to have a deal by Valentine's Day-ish. So hopefully that can happen. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's doing good. Uh, he's he's uh, he's recovering from that uh, that Packers defeat. Um, his prediction this week is one that he actually made in advance. Um, he made this um, before the start of the um, Buffalo-Kansas City game. After the way the Rams uh, box game ended, he predicted that Casey would make it uh, four for four with home teams losing on walk off field goals. Boy, that would have um, been fun. It would have been fun. We don't have to give this bases because, you know, it's already wrong. Um, so, yeah, it was wrong, but that's Josh's prediction for the week. We'll, we'll, we'll bring it into our accountability session <laughs> next week and we can buzz him for it. Next say, week. Did, did <laughs> yeah. we just buzz now? Do we buzz it? We'll, we'll buzz him next week. Okay. Just so I don't mess up my spreadsheet. I'm going to disagree with what you said earlier, Mike. And uh, I'm going to say that in the offseason, the NFL will adopt 
some change to the overtime rules. I'm not saying it's going to be a major change, but there will be a change to the overtime rules for the NFL. That's a, that's at least a triple from me, if not a home run. Yeah, I would say it's probably a triple. I'm not going to go as far as home run. I, I don't think it's a home run because it's going to get proposed. Now, does the rules committee take action? My thing is it didn't happen to one of the NFL's pet teams. Like, people like Buffalo, but they're not really in all the commercials. They don't have the guys in, you know, your State Farm commercials or your whatnot. They're not on all the the posters. Um, If it happened to the Chiefs again, I feel more confident it would happen than if it happened to the Bills. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking triple, probably. Same. Fair enough. Triple it is. What do you got, Kyle? Uh, it is tennis season. The start of the Australian Open is upon us, and with that comes a prediction of Rafa Nadal winning the Australian Open, becoming okay. the mo- the winningest men's single tennis sing- men's tennis player in history. Let me pull up the bracket here. Okay, so we're with the quarterfinals um, right now. Um, Nadal is the sixth seed. Um, only the four and two seeds um, still um, ranked ahead of him in this tournament. Um, so he'll play the 14 seed Shapovalov from Canada in the quarters. Uh, and then he'll either get, um, get Malifs from France or Bertini from, uh, from Italy. You mean, you mean Monfils? Sure, I don't speak French. Gail Monfils? Okay. I do not speak French in the quarters. And then in the bottom half of the bracket, there's still uh, the Russian Mendeleev and the, the Greek uh, Tispis. Tispis. You got that hard job. <laughs> yeah, I know. I should have let Kyle try it. Yeah, you I should have let Kyle that. give us the bracket. Oh, boy. Is this a single or a double? So looking at it, this website, it, it looks like he's second. On the odds right now to win the whole thing? Behind Medvedev? Yeah. I would be very oh. surprised if he did not win it. He's got that mojo, you know? He wins. Single right. or double? What What are the odds according to that website? Uh, Hold on, I just exited out. Um, Medvedev is at negative 120. Nadal is at plus 225. Everybody is at plus 1,000 after that or higher. I'd probably give it a double just for... Since he's plus 225, I would probably give it a double. I'm down. That's fair. All right. For my prediction, I'm looking to uh, go yard again or at least get deep, you know, or probably just strike out again. Uh, I'm going to predict the Cyclones are going to reverse their fortunes, the men's team, and win three straight games. So that would entail them winning at Oklahoma State University versus mizzou and then they will have to beat ku at hilton hmm. all right Dang. espn bpi what do we got let's see um bpi gives the cyclones a 34 percent chance to beat oklahoma state a 33 percent chance to beat ku okay and, and they get a 95 percent 95 chance percent I said Missouri is really bad. Yeah. So that's a that's a ten percent chance, basically ten and a half percent chance. Ten and a half is right on the borderline between triple and home run. What do you guys think? I'm leaning towards triple. I was leaning no, towards cycle. triple. Cycle. I, 
but yeah, home run. But but I <laughs> think give me BPI, rationale. I think BPI undervalues how good Iowa State is. Um, I think the BPI doesn't value Iowa State's basketball team enough. That's why I'm thinking triple uh, triple because I think the odds are probably actually slightly, um, actually slightly better than that. Sounds I would like tend to, to agree, but Iowa State is so fickle. I don't have the confidence to say this is a triple. I'll go home run. Okay. Well, if you two both say home run, there's, there's nothing I can do about it, unfortunately. What if I pull up the Cyclones BPI rank real quick and tell you how bad it thinks the Cyclones are? Well, I, I don't. I mean, think after we saw uh, their last couple games, cause, I wouldn't cause argue Because the Cyclones with, yeah. are ranked 41 in BPI. That seems fair. Do that doesn't really seem too far off. Okay. I, I still yeah. think that we're we're still riding that high of uh, we're outside the segment now, but riding that high of being a really good team that was supposed to be really bad. I agree. So wins versus I, I think we're starting to rambling doesn't mean we're a top ten team. We're, we're starting to average out that that curve of suck, I guess. But with a single, double, triple, and a home run, we have hit the cycle in our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 160 of the 8311 cast. Make sure you check us out next week in the same place that you found us this week. And in the meantime, check out our Twitter, our active, amazing Twitter account, at 8311cast. It's the best thing you'll see on your feed all day. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts... Kyle Mersh. Mike Audrey. Ariane Barry. And Wyatt Tudor. We'll talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!